Good morning. I um, have good news and bad news all at once. Um, we have about three more weeks at least to deal with uh, completing the book of Revelation. book of Revelation has been a real challenge for me because um, it's not a, a, a book that provides... Um, do's and don'ts or trainings or stories or anything that gives you any kind of a thing to grab a hold of and discuss and try to find a specific, applicable truth to our own uh, life application. It is a book that uh, is written uh, very much in a way that gives uh, information in where things are and what who God is, and some things about His character. Those are things we need to know, things we need to understand, uh, but are not easily put into a, a normal sermon environment. Um, this morning, I, I, I'm very happy to say that on April the 19th, we have a, a group that are coming to our church called Jews for Jesus. Actually, it's one lady that's primarily coming uh, that's planning on doing a presentation about... Uh, the Passover, which will be a couple of weeks right after Easter. So the, the application should be pretty solid for us. But it's an opportunity for us to understand and get a deeper grasp of worship. Uh, what, it's, what it means, what the symbolism is, and, and how each element of uh, that experience has value as it focuses on God. So I'm very excited about saying that, but at the same time, I kind of want to test our own selves when I think about how we come together from week to week to do what we call worship. Um, the testing part, I guess, is that I have to reflect on my own history because I certainly don't want to try to be judgmental on anyone other than myself. But I know that worship has played different roles over the years for me. When I was very young, it basically uh, was a very blurry thing. It was just something I did. I knew that I was supposed to go to church, supposed to be with other Christians, and gain some kind of a relationship with God. But I wasn't real sure what my commitment and my responsibility was going the other direction. When we come together today, that's part of our challenge. You know, worship is its not a one-way, Him-giving-to-us experience. It's also us preparing ourselves to receive what God would have for us. So if you'll allow me, I'm going to take just a moment and we're going to pray. Father God, we do come before you today asking that you would be the center of this worship time. We would ask that we would not see ourselves as anything aside from individuals gathered together, making up your church, and hungering for Your presence in our lives. Father, we don't have to ask You to be here today because we know You are. We know that You are in the midst of Christians with a desire to see us walk with You more closely. Father, we thank You for that. Help us to know how to make ourselves available to You. Help us to know how to give praise to You. Help us to know how to give glory to You. In Jesus' name, amen. 
personally, when I was growing up, I grew up in, in uh, as you're well aware, grew up in a church environment. Uh, I was a choir boy from the earliest day. My father used to use the term choir boy, boy, and it meant quite a bit different thing to him than it did to me because he grew up in New York in a Catholic environment. And so he was in a big Catholic service. So when he said choir boy, he meant choir boy in the sense that not only did he sing, but he had all kinds of other little responsibilities tied to it. For me, choir boy meant that at the age of nine, I began joining choir. So we have choir in our church here, and every now and then we get the joy of watching our little kids tromp in here and stand up here up front and sing, you know, with the most exciting. Well, they're either singing in a very excited way or they're not singing at all. Sometimes they just stand there kind of like a rock in fear as they look out amongst the the people here in the congregation. But they're still so cute because that's when they get a little bit built within themselves uh, the opportunity to, to say, I too can stand up and be of use in some way in the church. But uh, when I was growing up with that experience, uh, I had uh, a good experience with the brothers and sisters at the church. Uh, I enjoyed singing with them. But when I got to be a teenager, I also found myself with a different group of people singing, and that was in a rock band. And uh, we were a very different environment when I was with them. And the reason I mention that is because there was a kind of a conundrum going on within my spiritual walk. There was the part of me that greatly appreciated the time with the brothers and sisters in Christ. But what I kept discovering was the ones that were in the church were so holy that sometimes I wondered if they even knew what was going on outside of that building. All of their activities, all of their lives were running right back to that same building for protection. On the other hand, I had this other group of friends that, uh, believe me, I'll say that their, their world was not the same. This was in the 60s, which should give some of you a hint what kind of a world it was. Drugs and drinking were everywhere. I was not involved in that, but I was around ones who were. It was a time when the church was under great pressure. And there was something called the Jesus Movement. That came out, and it was sort of the Jesus movement was sort of a a Christian response to the hippies and the drugs that were going on everywhere, and so the Jesus movement began to have more of this contemporary kind of music. And for example, this morning, where we had this kind of music and had drums up here, I can remember a time in my history where to put a drum up here would have been almost the same as just committing the unpardonable sin. But but you know, it's amazing how times change. And uh, that changed as well. And there began to be a little bit more flexibility within the church. But still, I was in the between these two worlds trying to decide, how can I reconcile? How can I put... Wow, I just came on. Um, how can I reconcile this relationship issue? Because there's the part of me that wants a alive, vibrant, practical relevant Christian walk to impact the lives of those people that I run around with daily, the non-Christian friends. At the same time, I want my non-Christian friends not to be afraid of me because I am a Christian. In my particular case, my friends weren't. But there was a problem. We certainly got, we, we had great days. We went and did performances in different places. And I was always sort of the, the oddball out in that where we went when I was with the non-Christians, 
they, they always knew, well, if we get to a certain point, we have a need, find Gardner, he can help us. That means if they got too drunk, they didn't know how to get home, that I would be around to help because I didn't drink. They were very complicated times for me. Because the church kept talking about Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. And I kept saying, the answer to what? Even though I was a Christian and heavily involved within the church, it seemed very trite to just give that as the magic potion for all that existed. What I saw in Jesus was a lack of fear to talk to anyone about any subject. To talk to the prostitutes, no problem. To talk to the religious leadership of his day, no problem. To eat with people who were not Christians, or certainly not followers of him, or even followers of God, no problem. Jesus was not threatened, and yet the church that I was involved in seemed to be full of people who wanted to divide themselves away from anything that even appeared to be challenging to them. At the same time, as I say, I was struggling because this music group I was singing with and was in, we began to hit some words in some songs. The lyrics began to eat me alive. Because the lyrics in the songs began to get pretty pretty raunchy, pretty unacceptable to me as a Christian. And the guys in the group always had good rationale for, oh, it doesn't matter, you can do it this way. Well, just change the word and sing it differently. Finally, after a period of time, I surrendered. And I just said, you know, I cannot even put those two words together in the same sentence, much less sing it and act like it doesn't have a meaning. What we say and how we act and what we do as Christians is important. And I couldn't compromise. I finally reached the point. At first, I thought, oh, I can do this. But the music in the 60s got pretty wild. What was I going to do? I don't know if you can feel the level of frustration because I didn't want to become just another little church boy or girl that just just dispensed all their uh, security in this. I wanted to be able to go out into the world anywhere and not be afraid. I wanted Jesus to be my Lord. I wanted to be like Jesus. I wanted to go out and boldly go out into our world and not fear it, not be frightened. When I look at the Scripture, even in chapters 15 and 16 of Revelation, I want them to talk to me. See, these Scriptures are talking about plagues, talking about things related to God's character, His personality, who He is. I want to get to know the God who is not afraid. I want to get to know the God that is love. Yes, God is love. The Bible says it. I believe it. But I also want to know the God that is fair, is just, is righteous, and will eventually say, enough is enough. My choir boy lifestyle helped me to come up to the point that I struggled. And the struggling was good for me. I'm so thankful for my non-Christian friends who put up with me 
And I will tell you that especially out of eight guys I ran around with, six of them today are following the Lord. But I think all of us have got things within us that don't all match up perfectly. We, we have things that kind of stretch us and, and, and we have to struggle with. And when I read Revelation 15 and 16, as we have just done, we have to recognize these two chapters are put together for a purpose. They're a coupling, if you will. They're designed to be read together. Chapter 15 is an introduction to where 16 is going. Because 16 is sort of a, 15 is almost a warning for what's about to happen. It means that I have to, but if you look at this, it speaks of the consistency of God's righteousness. It means that He desires to have a relationship with us, but that His holiness cannot put up with having a relationship with those who ultimately do not respect Him. It means that I have to accept that God is God. He is. And not how I desire Him to be boxed up in a package into what my expectations of holy are. Most of us, when we think of God, we want God so much to be within our building, within our values, within our understanding. And yet God says in Revelation 15 and 16, you only know part of me. As you read all of Revelation, it says you only know part of me. You haven't paid attention. Now, if you'll think back with me, and I'll think about it as well, we'll remember Adam's sin. Adam's sin in the garden got a response from God, remember? Eventually, Adam had a complete different lifestyle. He was sent out from the peaceful life that God had initially attended. And even though he attended good for him to have that kind of a simple lifestyle, Adam chose to allow his sin to influence his life. Noah, there were only eight people that made it out of the flood. Again, God being righteous, being fair, saying, finally I reach a point, again, enough is enough. I'm very, very patient as a Creator God. But there is a time when even I will say, that's all. We look at Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities that are completely destroyed. We look at Nineveh, as we look at Jonah, you know, it looks great when you read the book of Jonah. At the end of the book of Jonah, the people repent. And everything looks great, but that's not the end of the story. We have to continue to read on. We find, indeed, Jonah does, uh, I mean, Nineveh does get destroyed because of its sin. It went right back into its habit. Revelation 15 and 16. God's final wrath before Christ returns. God wants to be relevant to all of us. He reveals His love and His anger over unrighteousness for us. Chapter 15, we've just read. You have a clue where chapter 15 is going because it's telling us that God indeed has stepped into our lives at this point and plagues are coming. Plagues don't sound particularly enjoyable. But it's a kind of a warning, if you will. So if you want to understand Revelation 15 and 16, we need to remember and understand the very topic of what I gave for today's sermon, 
was knowledge is not always that valuable or something. I can't remember what the final term was. Knowledge is sometimes failure. The point being, knowledge and awareness is great. It helps you. But it doesn't always guarantee that that's adequate. We can know the facts. We can understand what's going to happen. The question is, what are you going to do with the facts? Once you know it, you've got to do something about it. Jackson gave it a shot. He stepped up and he went for two weeks. He at least tried. He found some strange things there. He bumped into some challenges there. But at least he was saying, okay, I know the facts that Jesus loves me. I've got to try to figure out if I have what it takes to get that information over to others. How can I share it with someone else? As we look at what the purpose of chapters 15 and 16 are, it's telling us why the bowls are sent. It very much shows us a righteous judge. God is a righteous judge. There will be a day of righteousness. In the judgment, it will be fair. may not make us happy. may not make you feel good. But that's not what this is all about. Another thing that it does for us, it shows us that there is a basic nature within the unrepentant heart. Because as we read through chapter 16, you're going to see over and over times where the people had an opportunity to say, I repent, I change, I know my mistake, I know my sin. And what they do instead is blaspheme God. It makes them angry to even hear His name. So it tells you something about the nature of those kinds of people, which I want to say to you and me today as we review this, all of us have come in contact with people like that already in our lives. People who have heard you talk to them about the love of Jesus and they say, I have no interest in it. I don't want to hear about God. I don't want to hear about Jesus. No thanks. You know, we as Christians tend to think if we just talk a little longer... Maybe then they'll become a Christian. Maybe then they'll consider what I'm saying is true. But the unrepentant heart can become so cold and so hardened that it doesn't matter how long you talk. And I don't think we need to walk around feeling bad about ourselves by talking to those people and then refusing to accept Christ. But we do need to challenge ourselves when we don't dare to open our mouths and try. We do have a responsibility to share the gospel even though we can't make anyone accept Christ. Why are chapters 15 and 16 important to us today? You know, I gave you a story a few minutes ago about my high school years and my struggle, the conundrum that I was dealing with. John 17, verse 15 to 17 says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. We must remember that the Scripture does not say, I am the way, the truth, the life, the connector, and the feeler. All those that will believe this can come to know me. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whether we feel great about what God says 
or does or acts not really that important. Our role is to understand God as much as we can and to serve Him with our all that we are. It's a challenge. You know, I want to feel good. But when I read chapters 15 and 16, and I read the book of Revelation, it's mainly saying God is saying enough is enough. I'm fed up. I'm tired. This is enough. I'm not going to do it anymore. I've given everyone every opportunity. No one anywhere can say I didn't give them a try. I gave everyone an opportunity to follow. And still, they are only blaspheming me, cursing at me. Surely this much of understanding of the nature of the way men treat God will be enough that finally men can at least understand the situation. God's righteous judgment and the punishment of those who reject worshiping and serving Him in favor of following the beast are the central points of revelation. This presents truth over feelings alone. Chapter 16, as we get in that today. Many people, both Christian and non-Christian, will find some difficulty in reconciling the love of God with the righteousness and the uh, punishment of this Scripture. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then... I will restore to the peoples a pure language, and they all may call on the name of the Lord and serve Him with one accord. That's in Zephaniah 3, 8 and 9. Isaiah 13, 9 says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and He will destroy its sinners from it. The prophets of old have cried out, They have screamed with all of the heart that they can scream. They have done what they would call strong preaching in every way possible. And yet, people have not repented. Today, we look at the Scripture and we must ask ourselves the same thing. What does it take to see a lost world come to know God? Why would we be surprised to see what is coming from God? Chapter 16, verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the bowls or the plagues of the wrath of God on the earth. God's voice was in the temple. Some would say that that means that God is choosing to remain within His own environment, not trying to interact in this thing, And that's the reason He's sending these angels out to put forth these plagues. He doesn't even want to have to see it. He knows how bad it's going to be, but He also knows it's righteous. And He knows it has to be done. And He cannot put up with it anymore. Have you ever been in a situation when you were talking to someone and you were trying to help them to come to know Christ and you just thought, boy, you just don't get it. No, 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 I'm telling you, If you do this, this, and this, you'll have eternal life. 
You'll have meaning. You'll have purpose. You even here will have purpose. Right now, look at what you're doing. You're tied up with these, in my case, my friends, tied up in drugs, tied up in drinking, tied up with, with women in the case of me running around with guys. You know, I, I kept watching and thinking, what is it going to take? Well, like I said, six out of the eight guys I ran and went around with are following the Lord today, but it took them years to get through their thick skull. I praise God for the six, but two are not there. Two of the six still are not there. It wouldn't matter how long I camped on their doorstep talking to them about the righteousness of God. Their hearts are hardened. Will I pray for them today? Absolutely. But it's not over. The Scripture goes on. And it says an angel one, verse two, begins to come out. And then we see uh, the, the many, the first one is dealing with the sores that come on the body. And it talks about the worshiping of, of images uh, and the carved images that are there. And then in angel two, we look in, in verse three, we see a second angel that comes forth. And then we see the sea <coughs> covered with the sea changing its very nature. You know, one of the things about water is that water contains all kinds of nutrients. Here it's saying the water's dead. There are no nutrients to provide, which impacts the future food chain. Without, without, without nutrients, people will be impacted. Then it goes on, it describes even the issue of drinking water. And it talks about the rivers that are impacted. In verses 4 to 7, we begin to look at the third angel. <laughs> and again, it's the same issue of saying, how is this going to impact uh, these people in the future? Thank you, Henry. Unlike the trials that, that came within the trumpets in chapters uh, 8, uh, where we had one-third of the, the group, you know, when it was talking about the trumpets, we have to remember the trumpets were kind of a warning. It was a time of, of God saying, get prepared, there's going to be judgment. When we read in this chapter, chapter 15 and 16, it's no warning anymore. The game is over. The opportunities are over. Even God says enough is enough. No more second chances. You know, one of my favorite sermons that I love to preach is Peter. Because I look at Peter's life and Peter's clicking along. Peter makes major errors, denies Jesus. And God still steps back in and says, Peter, even though you denied you, I can still use you. And I'm going to establish a church. And you're going to be so important to so many people. You know, God of second chances. How many times? But there's going to be a day that in His righteousness, God is going to say, no more. No more. Throughout history, persecutions have been many, but they will have nothing to compare to what we will see as we look in chapter 16. And we see chapter 17 and 18, it's going to get even worse. Unlike the theoretical, uh, well, unlike the theoretical study approach that many in the Western church take about the book, the churches in China focus very much in saying, where am I in the overall big picture? They're asking, is this, if this is going to happen, where do we fit into the picture? 
Brothers and sisters, I'm challenged by the church in China because I think we need to be asking ourselves the same thing. Where are we in the big picture? What are we willing to do? We know the facts. Knowledge sometimes fails. We all know James chapter 2, verse 19, where it says that the, daemon, the demons hear Jesus' name, but they tremble. They know His name. They know who He is. They know what power He has. But they do not say, I give up, I'll follow Him. What I would say to you and me is a lot of people are like that. A lot of people know a lot about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. And when we look at here in chapter 16, the attempt to try and explain these plagues is to say, this is where it's going. Judgment is coming. Righteous judgment. And the reason is because these people's hearts are so unwilling to change. Now the third point that we have to remember, after we recognize the judgment is coming and the reason is because the people will not change, is the challenge to us asking, what are we going to do about it? You see, if you love your cousins and your uncles and your brothers and your sisters and your friends and the people that don't come to our church, we should have, we need to have serious planning for how we're going to use our lives. And I don't mean just planning programs for ourselves. When we look at the Scripture here, every bit of this talking about the plagues is so frightening, it should make us be hungry to be seeking out ways to share the Gospel with the lost. Verses 8 and 9, they blasphemed the name of God and they did not repent. Verse, uh, in, in verse 8 it says, The fourth angel poured the bulb of the sun upon the sun, and the power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. The men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which have power over these places. See, the thing is, they got upset and got angry about it. But they didn't change anything. The Scripture says, I want you to understand, it's not my fault. God is saying, not my fault. I've already given you the seven trumpets. We've already tried to warn them. A third of the people were killed and died then. And they still didn't get the point. This time, it's simply a time of punishment. The Scripture describes those through the final three and a half years of the tribulation. We surely can't be passive as we listen. The Word of God is power in and of itself. And it must have been written, not just for our knowledge, but to motivate our actions. I've been reflecting on the term strong preaching more and more. And I continue to believe that the Bible has its own power. He who has an ear, let him hear. My point is, I have always said, I can remember sitting even as a youth in church listening to preachers preach. And the difficulty that I had was when I had to listen over and over and over and the preacher was emphasizing how he felt about things. It really doesn't matter how I feel about it, but it does matter how God feels about it. Our teacher here, the one we worship, is not the choir, the singing group, the preacher, anyone. Our focus is on God. When we came and we participated in the Lord's Supper, it's a worship event. It's not an evaluation event as to whether things were said rightly or they had the wine before the bread or the bread before the wine. It is a worship time 
for us to be focused on our Creator God who loves us with all He has. He's trying to say to us, the plagues are coming because men are wasting their lives. If we want to get a message from Revelation 15 and 16, it should be a message to the church. As John was looking and seeing that vision, the message is, don't waste the life God has given you. If He created you, if He loves man, if He wants to help man come to know Him, don't waste your time. Your time is precious. Your life is precious. Several things we need to consider as we look, in, look at the fifth angel. He poured out his bowl on the seat of the beast. And his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. Folks, I don't know what it takes to scare you, but this scares me. I don't want anybody to have to go through that. I've met people that I thought were a little silly, a little crazy, not too smart. But I wouldn't even want them to go through this. And I've met many people that I really like and I would love to see to come to know Jesus. And I don't want them to go through this. So the question for me, the question for VCBC is, what are we going to do with the lives we've got today to make sure that people don't have to go through this experience? Several things to consider. There are many people who believe that when the, the reference in here is talking about Babylon, some people believe Babylon will be rebuilt. Now, whether it will be or not, the arguments about the book of Revelation, you can get different interpretations that are pretty significant. It really doesn't matter to us, but the main point there is to say, back in history, Babylon was often classified as the seat of Satan. So the reference here that we see about Babylon is to refer to that. And so it does include that. As we go on and we look at the sixth angel, verses 12 to 16, it talks about the Euphrates River. And it talks about how the Euphrates River will dry up. Now, I don't know about you, but I know how I am about rivers. When I think about important rivers, my number one thought is the Rio Grande in Texas. That's between Mexico and Texas. Now, that's because that's from mine from there. Now, the number two river I think of is the Mississippi, if I'm thinking about America. But actually, for me, the main ones I think about are the what's called Changhe Long River in China, whatever that's called in I don't know. Anyway, the Long River. What's it? Yangtze River. Okay. The other is the Yellow River. And the other is the Pearl River. So I think about those as the rivers. But when you think about the Euphrates River, it's a little different. Because the Euphrates River has been classified as one of the four main tributaries tied to the Garden of Eden. And even if you go back in Scripture, you see references that would help us to think that this is the case. And so the point is, it's an emphasis on the fact that the Euphrates is an important, significant river. And yet it will be dried up. So as we, we look at and understand the Scripture at this point, we have to recognize the goal is to say that all of this found in chapter 16 is important as the plagues are put forth. The seventh angel 
poured out the bowl into the air, and then it said, it is done. That was the sound that came and the statement was given. There came a great voice, God's voice, that said, it's done. It's completed. And he talks about the following. It says, there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake, such as was not seen since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came to remembrance before God to give unto him a, a cup of wine of the fierceness of his wrath against Babylon. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found, sifted, if you will, down into nothing. And there fell upon the men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceedingly great. The point is, you cannot teach men into the kingdom of God. You cannot knowledge people into the kingdom of God. It is still the work of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray that the Holy Spirit motivates us when we worship, when we serve, and when we reach out in ministry. Let us take the, take the time to slow down and to be sure that our motivation is coming from God for what we do. Before we open our mouths and we say what we have to say, let us consider, is this really what God would have me say? Our church is here for purpose. <coughs> the plagues scare me. Not because I'm afraid for myself. Not because I'm afraid for you but because I'm afraid for the people that are all around us who do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord. The plagues challenge us to say God is fair, God is just. He is patient, but love is balanced out by His righteousness. What will we do with the lives we have? <coughs> Father, we come before You today Asking that your scripture be our teacher. <coughs> Father, we recognize that we are limited in our understanding, but we recognize that you are Lord. Father, bless us because of our faithfulness. Give us hunger to be used by you. In Jesus' name.